What if I told you I'd take you to a place you'd never been and do something to you that's never been done? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Open your mind real wide now. CBS reports UFO friend, foe, or fantasy reported by CBS News correspondent Walter Cronkite Good evening reports of flying saucers are nothing new from the beginning of recorded time men have been seeing unexplainable things in the sky and there's no reason to doubt they saw something the question is was what they saw really there? And what was it they really saw? Aliens. With gas hanging out here at the International UFO Congress, the 26th annual. Good afternoon to you. Thanks for tuning into the program. The Extraterrestrial Rock Show is alive and well on the Saturday on VoiceAmerica.com, the Variety Channel. For the next couple hours, we're going to do a special broadcast from the event. We're going to have a, a great guest joining us as well throughout the show. So, Sit back, relax, and uh, let's talk some aliens and, and UFOs here. And uh, our very first guest, we're going to start off with are some uh, witnesses to the Phoenix Lights. And they are part of the panel that will be going on with James Fox at 4 o'clock today. So thank you for joining us. We have Stacy. Hello. Hi, Stacy and Emily. Hello. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. So you guys are actual witnesses of the Phoenix Lights happening in, back in 1997. So it's a kind of a... A decade anniversary, to a certain degree. Right? Two, 20, decades. two decades. Two decades. Twentieth anniversary. So, where were you when it happened? We were on I-10, heading towards Phoenix. I-10. So you were driving. Correct. All right, and you were leading from Phoenix, or from Tucson. From Tucson to Phoenix. And what part during the drive were you at when you saw it? Near the Casa Grande exit. Okay, so it gets close to Phoenix area. Yep, getting closer to Phoenix. And what did you see? Um, as we were approaching the Casa Grande uh, rest area exit, off to the left, the driver of the car, a good friend of mine, saw a huge light coming off the mountains, and he exclaimed, what the hell is that? And immediately, all of, uh, all of our attention was drawn towards this light, and these mountains are pretty low. They're about 23, 2400 feet in the air, mm-hmm. and this craft came off of it with three lights in the front. And then a light on each corner. Um, after that was at looking from our car at 11 o'clock, this craft then came straight over uh, in front of us and proceeded to go right over our car, which we were underneath for for a few minutes. Oh my gosh! Are you guys natives? I gotta know because I'm a native. Yeah, so we're both from Tucson. All right. And we just made that drive just now to come to this convention. So. <laughs> oh my gosh! Thank you for being here. We got to kind of relive it, and the valley, the valley that we were in was pretty wide. We estimate it to be close to three miles wide, and this craft, it's had it had it landed, it would have landed on the mountains on either end. So. Oh my gosh. We estimate it to be a number of miles wide. So you guys are in the same car. Yes. So what was going on in this conversation in the car of what is this and how slow was it moving? It was going so slow. It was almost at a hover, but it was slowly going towards the south, towards Tucson. It was almost following I-10. And at that stretch, the uh, interstate is actually going north-south, not east-west. Right. And it was slowly going towards Tucson. And... We were driving for state championships. A, a number, a number of minutes, um, actually under the craft, and we were going sixty-five to seventy-five miles an hour. And so. it's like it's still there, it's just like yeah, for a number of minutes, and it, it did completely block out the night sky. We also rolled down our windows, and I was ten at the time, and I stuck my head out the window and looked straight up at the craft, and it was completely silent. 
So were other cars, did you notice other cars noticing this or just, you didn't stop? I didn't notice other cars pulling over. Right. Did you pull over? You didn't pull over? Nope. We did not. Was there kind of like, let's get out of here kind of a feeling? I think we did kind of have a feeling of we shouldn't stop. Just keep making forward progress. That was something that you felt inside? Yeah. Interesting. Were there uh, like lights visible underneath the craft or like did you see that? It was It was the shape of a triangle and there were lights on each the leading, angle of the triangle. Yep. Oh my gosh. And it was a very solid mass. It was somewhat of a cloudy night. It wasn't pitch black and it blocked out the night sky. Well, they said oh this thing came all the way from northern Arizona and just straight down and then I guess Tucson was the last place it was saw it yep. was seen before it took off, right? Yep. And something that large. So, I mean, how the, how has this impacted your life, Stacy? Changed it. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't a believer before this? I wasn't a non-believer, but now I'm definitely a believer. Right. You don't think this is anything uh, our government could have built with maybe reverse engineering or this? If so, why the lies and why fly it over Phoenix, Arizona? At 8.30 at night? I mean, it's entirely possible, but it was really poorly executed on their part, if that is the case. And being your age, it it makes no sense. Right. Being so young at 10 years old, I mean, what were your thoughts even on UFOs at that time? I didn't really have any. I was somewhat embarrassed of it. I, at this point in my life, I embrace it very much. And I think it's very, it's part of who I am. We don't search this out whatsoever. James Fox reached out to us and we're here now, but it's not, it's a huge part of our life, but not something that we search out. We're, we're not conspiracy theorists. I know very well what I saw. So when do you have a lot of naysayers? I mean, because people think this is a helicopter, think it's something flares, and they have. I these. have not met that. Most no. people believe me, and it I, was such a mass and then sighting. They have their own story of of some sort. Right. I was at a wedding last night, and of course today came up, and everybody <laughs> had their their moment, Isn't or it their funny? friends' moment. Right. Well, it's kind of like with us on the radio show when we tell people what we do. You know, that not right away, but off to the side, they'll pull us over and say, hey, listen, you know, I did see something or something happened to us, whatever it was. But yeah. so you're right. I think people are kind of a little hesitant to come out with it right off the bat until they hear someone maybe justify their story. You know, so for you guys, this was the first and only time you've ever seen a UFO, right? Correct. Absolutely. And, and is this the first time you guys are, you two are doing a speech on it? Or? Oh, no. No, they're on a panel, so people oh. will be asking you questions. I did, I did one interview about a year later, and that one interview is on everything. It's, <laughs> it's, it's on Out of the Blue. It's on the History, History Channel, Channel, the Discovery Channel. Well, you were 11 it, years old at the time, right? I must have been around 11. Right. I was almost 10 at the time of the sighting, but the interview was a year or two later. and. Um. The only one, but it got around. Well, it's interesting because we have, uh, you know, the g- generations are different here. So, you, you know, being a... My, my grandmother was in the car as well. Oh, she, so there were so three generations in the car. But, uh, okay. So that's... Wow. Grandma was there too. So the, she there, knows the truth. <laughs> as far as at that age, being at 10, watching this, maybe not realizing the the impact it would have on you in your life compared to maybe Stacy. I don't know if you believed in him prior to that or not. I mean, how much that changed your life. Changed my life. I mean, in, in what way for you? Um, well, in every way, I'm here now, (laughs) and um, I do live in the flight path of Davis-Monthan Air Force. I love airplanes, and I (laughs) study airplanes. I know all the A-10s and F-16s and what they sound like when they're going over. Right. This craft made no noise. It was just so enthralling to see. I bet. And 
I didn't think it could be anything the government made just because something that huge would take so much thrust and power to keep it up in the air. Right. And right after it passed over, I looked. There was no distortion of gas or afterburners right. going, no noise. And something and, like that taken off from somewhere, you would think, like, somebody's going to see it. Yeah. It's like when a space shuttle launch yeah. or something, you know? A lot of somebody's have video of it, and we, right. we did have a camera in the car, and we... It was so massive that it would have been a, a picture of black, right. a picture of darkness, or a picture of light. And that light has, from other people's videos, it's been compared to every light source known to man. And it is... Otherworldly. It was really? wow. Yes. Wow. We did Science. have a camera, and it was available to us, but... Now yeah, there are that happened to a lot of people. Aren't too. there some stories where people think they saw through the craft, like a kind of like a see-through kind of situation? Or am I wrong on that one? Um, no, I, you're wrong. There are some people that think it was boomerang shaped. Okay, right. And we got the pleasure of seeing the whole craft go over us, and it was triangular with more of a flat front. And there were three lights on the leading edge, and one light on each corner, and each light was huge. Um, comparable to when the moon rises right. in the east on a harvest moon and it looks unusually large. Right. That was the size and the appearance. It had an orangey yellow. We've never seen that light before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It had, it was almost like a living or a breathing light. I don't know how and to describe each it. Each one was like that? Each light was, was huge like a right, moon. Right. And it had a color. I don't want to say like your microphone, but it was an orange yellow. Did it give off uh, like a like a flashlight light? You know, no, no it? beam whatsoever. No nothing halo at all. either. Yeah, no halo, so no was, beam. Nothing was lit up by this light to a certain degree. Is what Correct. You're saying. No. Nothing ground wasn't or Correct. anything like that. Just what where yeah. the light was is where it was. And exactly. That's where it stayed. Yeah. Interesting. Wow, that must have been quite the sight for you guys to see that. And, and it's so interesting to be back here twenty years later, and it's still a thing, and it's a thing for a reason. It's. Yeah. Well, until there's it's an a answer. Really big thing. It's right? still unex in unexplained. Right. I mean, unless there's an answer, I mean, that's pretty much what it comes down yeah. to. There's still like going to be that unexplainable curiosity that we're all going to have, and you know, that's uh, something you, you guys went through on a, in a personal experience. You didn't see any car stopping at all, huh? I didn't, I didn't see any car stopping, but then again, we were fixated right. on this massive <laughs> craft. Like she said, there was a camera right. right there, but I had to load it. And I chose not to after trying to look through and focus. And it was either get black on black against a black sky or take a picture of the light. And at that point, I thought people think I'm taking a close-up of a light bulb. Why, why bother? Right. right. So, well, I think a lot of people had this sighting from so, such a far distance. You know, not, not too many people had this up close and personal that you have experienced. So, I mean... That must have been just overwhelming. I mean, it's hard to... Yeah. <laughs> so what happened when you went back to school, dude? Like, I didn't you? talk about it. It's not like I... She did. She I did. She talked a lot about it. And I was like, oh, mom. Oh, but man. now I do. Now you, it's so interesting. So you didn't like share it with any of your friends when you got back as a child? Um, oh, I, we were on our way to a swim meet in Phoenix with probably, you know, my, my closest friends. So right. Oh, we, so we they witnessed it, it as well. No. 
Oh, they did. Well, I, I had one friend in the car. Um, but we are on our way to a swim meet. So the next day, I'm at a swim meet with my whole team, and she's and me. talking all about it. Yeah, about, about, about it. Everybody, everybody was though. Yeah, everybody was. I mean, and that in, in in essence, you know, kind of makes you feel a little more comfortable that more people saw it. It was more well, you know, received by other people. So that you're like, you see, this is what I saw. Yeah, well, yeah I was justified. very proud, and I was right. boasting, and right, that's and what she I saw was too. More, Mom, but I mean, but, but back <laughs> yeah, then, it. wasn't it before? Because even Five Simonton came out with those, you know, with the with his alien yeah, costume and right. made fun of us, right? And, so yeah. in essence, yeah. kind of shooting your story right down again, you know, almost a few days after it happened. So here, here you are. So no, that's not true. All of us saw it. Too many yeah. people saw it. You're full of it, and that's it. Yep. Wow. And all it just is. It was it on the news is. that evening, and then it, it kind of disappeared out of out of the news until yeah. about June when they came up with the flare story, right? But, I saw a craft. You saw a craft. And it blocked it out everything. When I first called Peter Davenport when we got to Phoenix, to, I looked up UFO Reporting Center, and I called Peter Davenport, and he said, could you block it out with your thumb? And I've done that with many airplanes coming over my house. And <laughs> no, I could not block it out with my thumb. Yeah. And he said, what about your fist? Mm. I said, no, if I would have laid on my back and opened up a newspaper, I couldn't have blocked out this ob- object. Wow. So. And nothing ever since. I mean, Nothing ever since. You know, I think we've seen pictures maybe online of this similar craft in other places and what have you. That those those the triangular, the triangular with the right. lights and yeah, yeah, like a stealth fighter, yep. like the old stealth, you know, the wing one wing yep. stealth fighter. The one we've wings. seen a lot of those. Yeah, they fly over our house. Right, and here's this one that's yeah. miles wide. Have you either of you ever seen anything else no. since then? Nothing, not even an orb. Not Nothing. even an orb. Oh man. I've seen satellites, but I know what they are, and they're flashing, and they're not unidentified or anything. So. Well, I guess if you're going to see one, <laughs> that'd <laughs> be the one to one. see. We got to see it. Well, we have Stacy and Emily uh, telling the story at the International UFO Congress here at Wikipaw Resort, and they're going to be on the panel with James Fox uh, explaining your story that you gave us a little bit of that and uh, be on there. So this is something for you, Emily, you said it's something new that, you be, that you're telling your story now. It's my second time. Second you didn't time. interview me. Right. And Stacey, you've been... years ago. Right. Okay. <laughs> so a little bit of a recap, a little bit of a reunion. And for you'll you, Stacey, you're just... fine. No. Yeah, any, <laughs> any chance you get, you're telling your story, right? Yes. I saw the yeah, lights. Yes, I, yes, I saw the lights. It's a huge, amazing part of me, and I'm, <laughs> I love I'm it. very proud now. That's but. great. Well, I thank you for sharing your story with us. Yes, thank you. I know you guys got to get ready for the uh, panel. I see James, James is in the room as well. Maybe we can get him on for a second or so. I'm not quite sure. Um, but he's hosting the panel, so... I know. So, um, I don't know. So, there's still time for you guys to get down here to the Wigopaw Resort for International UFO Congress and get a ticket to see this part of the speakers slash panel. And we'll be in here broadcasting. During the panel, so we're gonna. Miss I get a little thirty bit of minutes it. of it though. <laughs> I gotta go see thirty minutes of right, it. Right, from five to five thirty. Right, so we'll run into there and check but the rest. That's of that okay. Out. That's the Q and A part, probably right. Maybe yeah. is there one? I'm sure there is. Right, so. right. Good. I like asking questions. Right on. Well, thank you, ladies. I do appreciate it. Thank you so thank much you. for having us. Absolutely. Thank you. Good luck on stage. Can we get James on for a minute? Yeah, Let's grab grab it. a mic real quick. We got a couple of questions we can ask James Fox. He's uh, putting the panel together here. His interest in the Phoenix Lights continues on. The 20-year anniversary, almost to the day, actually. Isn't it like another month away before it's coming up, right? Um, March yeah. 17th. It wasn't March 17th, I don't think, was it? What day was it? 13th. March 13th, 13th right. Yeah, I was yeah. close. Yeah, I was a month after that. So, you know how um, many you like. numbers have been thrown at me since Wednesday? <laughs> Get it all over. 
Uh, James Fox with us. Thanks so much, man, for joining us. Oh, pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So uh, you are you are running the panel. Uh, so what is, what is your fascination with the Phoenix Lights? Well, um, I would rewind 20 years ago, uh, just just under 20 years ago. I was doing a documentary, my first documentary on the subject of UFOs, when this incident occurred. So I was paying fairly close attention. And it didn't get a lot of media coverage. The, the internet wasn't that big back then. But my best friend and roommate at the time had a father who lived in Phoenix. And he would go back periodically and visit with his father. Uh, and he did. And they were having a barbecue in the backyard. And the next-door neighbor was a was an uh, airline pilot for commercial airlines. And... Uh, they just got to talking, and he said, oh, that's funny. My roommate, and a really good friend of mine, is doing a documentary on UFOs, and he said that there was a, a massive UFO that was seen here in Phoenix, about the size of a football field. And the <laughs> pilot turned to my buddy, my best friend, and he goes, actually, try about a mile across. Wow. And then, my, of course, my roommate said, like, well, how do you know? He's like, well, I was in the air that night. So I jumped on a, a plane, or I might have driven, I can't remember at this point, and went straight to Phoenix to my friend's house. Of course, the pilot had absolutely no interest whatsoever in going on the camera right. for me at all. <laughs> frustrating, right? Like, come Very on, man. Very frustrating. I'll fuzz so, your face out, maybe. So right? the be better the witness, the less likely uh, you would be able to get them on camera. Right. But my interest was basically like it, to make the distinction between lights in the sky and a massive craft right. that was seen by thousands across the state. It's awesome, man. I, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, because I, I read, uh, I've seen a little interview uh, about you talking about getting into the world of UFOs and covering UFOs, and that's something you weren't doing prior to a certain point in time in your life. And yeah, so I had a father who was paralyzed from the neck down with multiple sclerosis, and he was a journalist, a mainstream journalist. So I grew up traveling around the world with him doing mainstream stories from Stephen Hawking, theoretical physicist, to race car driver Dan Gurney. Okay. Uh, wow. For Sports Illustrated, PC Magazine, my dad even did a couple of articles for Playboy um, on acupuncture. But anyway, but in, but in any case, <laughs> yeah. when Sorry. I got into, yeah, no, I know it's the articles. <laughs> it's about acupuncture. <laughs> I've just seen it. <laughs> I feel so much better now. <laughs> How fortunate of a upbringing to have, though, like. Just the things you probably got to see yeah. and well, it was great. Witness, you know? But when my dad found out I was doing UFOs, he was like, "Oh, son, you have to reconsider what you're doing. It's a waste of your life. You're not mm -hmm. going anywhere. It's a dead end street. Like you must reconsider." And of course, being the Taurus that I am, that sort of propelled me even further. <laughs> you know, but but I did get a good, relatively decent understanding of of the um, um, protocol behind what it takes to. Um, I, I don't want to sound like I'm prophesizing, but what what it takes to uh, satisfy the skeptic, uh, not even even beyond skeptic, but the debunkers. And uh, so I thought, you know, it helped me focus on the more credible aspects of the phenomena sure. and make it more palatable to mainstream. Right, because you want you have to have everyone. You have to give them that that aha moment of wow, I, maybe I was wrong about all this. You know, but thanks for pointing that out because. It's so legit and so lo logical that you can't go against it. Well, you know, we all want the uh, that photograph or that uh, piece of video uh, that we talk about, you know, with multiple uh, broad daylight, multiple eyewitnesses, right. uh, points of reference, um, that sort of thing. And if you don't have that, you can provide the viewer or, or with the, what I call the preponderance of, of testimonies. So you get to the point where... How many testimonies do you need to hear from that night of March 13th, 1997, to finally say, 
somebody, you know, people saw something inexplicable in the night sky that night. You know, I can no longer dismiss, you know, these people. Right. And that's what I, what, what I, and, and, and that's what I uh, attempted to accomplish with my first film, my, uh, my second film, sorry, Out of the Blue. Um, but it always remained in the back of my mind. Uh, something that irritated me was when the governor, Five Simonton, came forward and, do you remember that? Yeah, he came out with a joke. Yeah, yeah he came with a joke. Right, right. I thought to myself, well, I really would like to get him on camera and find out, right. but it took 10 years, but he finally... He came around. He came around. I, I actually, right. uh, I, I sent him a copy of Out of the Blue, the first version, and I uh, reached out to him in, in 2006, and to my absolute amazement, he granted me an interview on camera, and that's when... I brought a statement from Stacy Rhodes, who you just heard on your radio show, right? Um, and then uh, took down my, pulled out my pocket tape recorder and took a statement from her, and then played it to him on camera, right? That's nice. Yeah. And it, I think it sort of softened the whole uh, interview, and that's when he kind of came clean. You have to admit it. I mean, all these people saw something. There's something you have to acknowledge. You can't just wash it or you know sweep it under the rug. Well, 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 the interesting thing is he not only came clean about having seen it. He's a captain in the Air Force. He's a pilot, the governor, Fife Symington. Uh, and to admit that he'd seen it and then on top of it saying, you know what, we did make inquiries. And it went right up to the Pentagon and we were, they were unexa- unable to provide right. an explanation. Sure. They just sort of shrugged their shoulders and said, we don't know what it was in the sky that night. Yeah, that's an easy out right there. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, if it's from another world, I guess he wouldn't you be able know. to know. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Unless they do that's know, true. but their only staple answer is to say, we don't know. So keep shopping or whatever, you know. They just don't want to tell us. That's nope. just me. Um, I, I know you got your speech coming up here very soon. So we'll let you go. But real quickly, uh, is the bounty still out there for proof of alien life for you? <laughs> do you still have the money to uh, offer someone for what kind of proof would be needed? Uh, I have, on numerous occasions, offered. Uh, okay, so I've found stuff and offered money, and I've looked for stuff and offered money. And the stuff that I found and offered money at the last minute had fallen through. And I could go on. I could talk about this for the next several hours. Some of it was military official stuff. Um, and at the last minute, people seem to get cold feet. And then I've also gone after stuff with. A high price tag, and 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 it's 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 kind of opening up a can of worms with that. But yes, the bounty's still out, um, but I don't think a hundred thousand dollars is enough. And I've had a couple of people tell me that really, yeah, you get a lot of responses, and you can kind of weed out, separate the wheat from the chaff, and you can tell who's serious and who's just wasting your time. Right. And I had about two or three responses where I realized these guys are serious. And they were like, hundred grand is nowhere near enough, right? Because it's their life; they, they probably think it's on the line. Yeah, I mean, if they, especially if it's if it's right. sort of official military stuff, you wow. could be facing prosecution sure. or you know jail time. Who knows? Right? Hmm. Yeah. So Crazy. if I had a million, hey, I do. You know, <laughs> yes, I would. I would. For yes. The cause, right. man. <laughs> sort of GoFundMe account. <laughs> yeah. well, I gotta have the footage first. Right. <laughs> That's all you need, man. I know. It's like the cart before the horse. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that, man. Well, right on, man. I thank you for your time. Man. Thanks awesome. for having me. Yeah. Out. Right. On. Thank you. So, yeah, thank you so. Thank much. You. We'll have to talk soon and get yeah. you back on again Appreciate for it. a little bit of a longer conversation. But uh, it's James Fox with us hanging out on the show. It's our special edition at the Weekapa Resort over at the Fountain Hills Fort McDowell Casino out in you know, near Phoenix, Arizona, you can say. And uh, even near us is kind of a hotbed. And we were talking with a, a family last night, and they were like, what's going on next door? This is at the casino. We're at the casino uh, food joint. Oh, yeah. And this, this, look, this couple was talking to us. And they're asking what was going on. We told them this UFO Congress. Their eyes lit up. And they're like, oh, do you know anything about the sightings just over here, just over the hills? The Indians have a, you know, their mountain spirits. And, and these UFOs have been seen flying into the river and just completely 
going into the ground without making a splash. Yeah. And there's like like a couple of witnesses of this too. Uh, there's a lot of that here because yeah. the you know we have a, such a rich American Indian culture. Right. Um. You know they live on the land, man, and have for a long time, and so they've got all these stories. It's really right on. It's pretty interesting. Well, let's move on. We we're, we definitely have the turnstile of guests today because we're going to be turning them in and out, left and right. But our next guest joining us is Ryan Sprague. Is that am I saying it correctly? Yeah, get real close to that microphone, please. Sure. Yeah, right on, Ryan. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. So, Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's tell let's t- tell people um, what you what you, what you do and and who you are, and that way they can get a base on that. Um, sure. Um, I'm a uh, I'm actually a playwright and a screenwriter in uh, New York City. Okay. Um, but I'm also a UFO journalist, which is sort of a <laughs> self-proclaimed title. It is, I must right? admit. Yeah, it um, is. But it is. It's a topic I find fascinating that I've been writing about for a long time now. And, uh, yeah, I come to Phoenix every year for this event. I used to work it backstage every year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I've, uh, I've made the leap over the, uh, the curtain All on right. stage All right, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> you did great. I saw your presentation. It was fantastic. Oh, thank you. It thank really you. was. So what, what was your inspiration to, yeah. to write a book? Um, I, I've been writing articles, like I said, for a long time, right. very short, objective articles, maybe 2,000 words, and I never could really give my own opinions on what it was. You know, you've got the uh, date of a sighting, the time, the location, the size of the craft, um, but I could never say, you know, like what I thought it could be. Because on the I, restrictions of the being a journalist in that absolutely, situation? Absolutely. Right. You know, you have to remain objective right. and just state the facts. Um, so I thought, what better way to finally get my own thoughts and opinions out there than to write a, a book, right. you know, and that's kind of where the idea came from. What I wanted to write about, I wasn't quite sure. Uh, there's so many UFO books out right. there. Right. Um, and I wanted, how could I, what could I bring to the table that was new? So I, I took this approach of um, following the people having the experiences, okay. how it impacted their lives, the aftermath of a sighting or an event, and that's, uh, that culminated into the book. That is awesome. I like that approach. So being a younger guy in this field, you know, <laughs> we talk about the uh, yesterday was a bit cause we had the panel of all these older men on stage right. and who's going to take over the the next generation of UFO seekers and, and enthusiasts and um, I mean your name came up a couple times as far as being one of those guys mm-hmm. that's going to be in the lead of the next generation of spreading the word and the knowledge out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, have you heard that before? Is that something that you kind of... Uh, I have. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> lot I'm not going to lie. Um, and something I never saw myself doing. Um, <laughs> but that being said, if that's if that's what people uh, think of me, that's extremely uh, flattering. Right. I, I have a huge passion for this topic. There are a lot of younger people out there interested. Right. They just don't know where to turn. Uh, they yeah. don't know that these events happen, and they do see that cliche of old white men in their tweed suits. Right. You know? um, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. The old guard of ufology I learned from. Right. And then it's about building upon that. What right. new stuff can we bring to the table? You know, Getting the um, word out to more. Yeah. So Maybe people who've had experiences right. or younger that don't know. Yep. Like where to go or well, yeah, every, everything's so to. fragmented online. There's so many places to go, and everyone's got their own ADD going on, yeah. and you don't know where to get your information. Back in the day, you had three networks that were feeding us right. all the news, so right. everyone got it from those sources. You know, we talk about um, our interviews with well, our interviews, but the interviews we play on the show, Walter Cronkite, Mike Wallace. I mean, this was big time on network media that were they were talking about UFOs. That doesn't happen anymore. 
You know, right. this doesn't get talked about as much as it used to be. Occasionally, here's a story here and there. Of course, the Phoenix Lights was a big story, but then it just kind of dies out. The conversation doesn't continue. You know, I think that's something where we need to kind of begin that again. I, I think that, so. that buzz, that interest of it. There, there's such a stigma and ridicule that comes with this topic. There always has been. Right. There might always will be. Um, mm-hmm. But you're right. Uh, there's always that X-Files music in the back of a news broadcast. Right. Or that <laughs> actually just I happened went. on Monday to well, they us. Almost, they, <laughs> they almost played X-Files. They did. Well, we have a little bit of the sound in our intro. You know? I'm not going to lie. There's <laughs> nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah. But we tease a little bit of it, the rest of it, you know, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just the whole thought of, you know, having the stories on the news, there's always a chuckle on it, a little bit of laughter about it. So they're not taken as serious, possibly. They, they remind me of marijuana stories, you know. Right. They kind of laugh it off as a joke and then we move on to the next story, whatever it is. So, you know, to have that conversation of this, no, this is real. There are, there are UFOs, there are ETs, there are this and that. And once that becomes a normal part of our discussion, then I think the truth will be revealed. That's, That's what I think, because the, the consciousness of all, all of us on this planet, if we're thinking the same thing of those UFOs, that they are real, with there's def- definitive evidence of that being real, eventually that's going to have to spill over to the mainstream media, and eventually everyone's going to be talking about right. it. I mean, it, you bring up a good point. I talked to, I think the guy was like 86 or something <laughs> yesterday, and he said to me, he said, there's three generations happening here. There's the baby boomers who you had to pull a UFO down and put it in front of them to think there's life elsewhere in the universe. You got the next generation, they're, they're very nuts and bolts, like, show me some trace evidence from the Roswell crash. Right. Right. And then there's my generation, who it's a given. Right. Absolutely, there's life out there. It was never a question for me. Like, the, the, the expansiveness of the universe, uh, you know, there's no way that we're alone. It's the logical solution. Exactly. It's mathematically <laughs> logical. So, uh, well, I don't know, how old are you? I'm 33. You're 33. All right. So I, I got you know, whatever years on you a little bit. <laughs> when you were growing up or at least going to school, I mean, was any of this in a conversation, a topic of conversation, aliens, ETs, or? Sometimes. Sometimes, but it's never really like the consistent, is it? I mean, no, 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 no. I mean, I had a couple friends interested in, but again, you know, there is always going to be that stigma. So right. whenever I brought it up, they're like, oh, Ryan's going off on his weird tangents. Right, and, right. You know. So then these are people that just don't want to accept the fact that this is a possibility. That this it's is a, a fear. Reality. It's, it is a fear, is it not? They right? don't know how to accept it, I think, is what it comes down to, too. Because they, they don't want to accept it, mm-hmm. and they... Uh, it's not part of their daily lives. Right. You know, we all have to live our own lives, but this is this is such a profound question that could ultimately change our lives in many ways. You know, well, not to get it, too new age. No, absolutely, but, but it totally would. It I would. mean it would it would shatter the perception everyone has of the way this you know, the society runs and, yeah. and it would change all that. I mean the technology alone would yeah. uh, give us such a freedom that we wouldn't even know what to do with it. Right. <laughs> you know, so having to get out of their comfort zone freaks a lot of people out yeah. and I think that's why there's that that's the rub I think is it not I mean of, of really getting people involved in this conversation is their unwillingness to let this be a possibility right you know I, I, I in my talk this week I I bring up the fact that you can you can connect this topic to anything well, no sure. matter what you're interested in whether it's uh, religion, philosophy, uh, sociology, psychology, UFOs have a place in that. We can always find a place yeah. for it, um, which fascinates me. I can't think of another topic that can really do that 
as much as something like this. I'm the same way. I think once I started this radio show, I've, I, I've been talking a bunch of different stuff. And a year and a half ago, I joined the show with uh, Heidi. Or, you know, we started the well, show together. Yeah. <laughs> and I've just every show has been such a fascinating conversation because you don't know where it's going to go, mm-hmm. and the and the the openness, the the unended possibilities. That of where this can go, yeah. you know, is what's fascinating to me, yeah. which keeps my interest in this ever ever going. I think, and the yeah. sheer number of people who've had experiences. Like, have you yourself ever like seen anything? Yeah, the, the origin <laughs> story. Right. Um, yeah, uh, I was twelve years old. I had my one and only UFO sighting. Yeah, uh, this is in upstate New York. Uh, I'm originally from Syracuse, New York, and I'm fishing. It's dark out and. Uh, I see three white lights in the water. So I look up and it's just, it's there. It's like three white lights, red light in the middle. Um, I didn't see like a solid structure to it, but I couldn't see the stars behind it. Whatever this thing or things Whoa. were. Was it like way up there? Like blocking the I'd sky? I'd say about kind of 300 feet up or so. Okay, right. I was 12. So right. I, yeah. I will be the first to admit memory is such a faulty sure. thing. So, I mean, I couldn't give you too many specifics, but um, it just sort of hung there. It was silent. All I could hear was the water hitting the dock, and uh, it just started coasting over the water towards uh, the, the Canadian border right. um, of the St. Lawrence River. And I yelled for my dad to come out, and <laughs> he's inside watching a Yankees game. <laughs> and, leaving, so right? there's nothing to get him away from that. <laughs> right, but he, right. he does come out, and uh, he sees the tail end of it, the two white lights. And, you know, Ryan, it's just a plane. It's just a plane. Don't worry about it. Um, but I was petrified. I was right. 12 years old. It's right. like slowly moving across yeah. the water, right? And this, he said, was that a triangle with the lights were creating with the red light in the middle? Yeah, yeah. It, it was a triangular formation now, with the red light. Why in does the that middle. seem like yeah. I've seen that on other videos? Have you seen that similar? It's very common. It is common. It's very common. Right. Which, um, you know, growing up when I tell people, they say, oh, I've seen photos of that. I've seen this. Um, what it was, I... I a big part of me thinks it was military. Right. Um, there were a couple Air Force bases in the area okay. um, that I later learned about. Uh, this is back in 1995, so it's very possible. Sure. It's when stealth craft were first starting to be known to the public. But um, I don't know. I, I don't know what it was. It scared the living daylights on but me. But you think if it was military, there wouldn't be all these bright lights on a on a on something, right? Why would they want to be seen? Right. Yeah. Right. That, so, that's a good question. Yeah. Now, why... A lot of these sightings that happen, mass sightings like the Phoenix Lights and whatnot, right. why, why are they begging themselves. to be seen, almost to evoke a reaction, you know? Right, and that's the thing is like the aliens are almost taunting us to a certain degree of like, here we are. Yeah. Do you notice us yet? Do you notice us yet? Yeah. And everyone's like, no, 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 don't notice them yet. Don't notice them yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> not we're, yet. Not, we're not, we're not ready. ready to get rid of our fossil fuels. We're not ready to get rid of our banking system. Free energy, <laughs> man. <laughs> like, I'm convinced that's what they want to give us, free energy, but we're just yeah. not ready. Well, we're not ready. I'm we ready. ready. I think we are ready. Just, I, just, uh, I live in Arizona, so in the summer, woo, I would uh, love yeah. to get rid of that utility bill. We should, well, this whole state should be a solar state. I mean, everything right. should be, every rooftop in this in this state should be solar paneled. Yeah. I mean, why are we not? It's just, it's, I, I always say we're, we're a community or we're a society that runs the well dry mm-hmm. until we figure out what to do next. So yeah. instead of waiting, you know. Well, you know what I'm saying. It's like, 
We just don't want to have a plan B until we need a plan B. Right. <laughs> and then it's too late. Yeah. And then it's too late. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Ryan Sprague hanging out with us. Now, you gave a speech already. So what was your speech about your book? or? Uh, yeah. I mean, it covered a little bit of the book, the people having the experiences. Um, the second half was, like I mentioned, about the different types of ufology. Okay. You know, you can view it through the lens of philosophy, through religion. You know, a lot of people believe you ufology is religion. It's a belief system. Sure, sure. Um, but, you know, I argue that there is a part of that, but there is also the scientific method that something like MUFON would contribute. Um, you could look at it from an astronomical level, astrophysics, you know, everything. Right. Psychology. Um, Carl Jung says that this is all in our mind, that this is post-war anxiety, or this is a struggle to want to find meaning with some sort of other, other than us. Right. So we're trying to, uh, we use that alien mask to look at ourselves. It's, it's fascinating. That's really interesting. But that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Right. Yeah. Um, Well, speculation was more more played in the game. Right, right. And that's where I think philosophy comes in. You know, we're we're constantly building off of these things and moving knowledge forward. Right. And I think that's what's happening here in Phoenix, and I think that's happening one person at a time yes. that are seeing these things and experiencing them. You know, the government is never going to come forward and yeah. say, "We know there's UFOs. We've been lying to you for since Roswell, whatever." Right. Um, it's going to come one person by one person right. having the experience, and that's disclosure. You know, one experience at a time right. in my opinion well yeah. it's, it's a lot of that's a lot of people have, who have to experience it though and you know? that could take centuries right you know? <laughs> right exactly so that's sobering right. in one aspect but exciting right. in another it would be cool to eventually have like the multi-million human earthling march for <laughs> ufo disclosure yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was a good time for protests and marches so right. I, let's just add this let's one just to the make list. it happen well like Absolutely. we talk about the conversation <laughs> needs to be more uh, common more more in the mainstream and that's when it's going to start getting in everyone's brain and get them thinking in this direction and eventually i think that's where the full disclosure will come when we're all wanting it as opposed to no you know just keep watching your you know your uh, talent shows and mm-hmm. you know there's nothing to think about don't think about anything don't think about anything just go, go to work pay your bills and and vote yes for your favorite singer that's <laughs> 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 that is that's it that's what they want that's that's, what it is. that's life that's how people live in this planet right a lot of people do and that's what has to end yeah before we can move on to the next level of consciousness or the mm-hmm. next level of just humanity in general absolutely yeah wow man what, do you have anything like lined up in the future, like uh, a new, another book, or like uh, what's, I, what's going on with you, man? Yeah, <laughs> I've been bouncing some ideas around. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a playwright in New yeah, York, right. and uh, I've actually found a way to mix my passions. I'm, yes. uh, cool. I'm currently working on a play about the 1980 Rendlesham case. Okay, yeah. good for you. Yeah. Yeah. This so, is awesome. Working with one of the key witnesses. Oh, very cool. Um, it's going to be very autobiographical and. Uh, to my knowledge, there's never really been a play about. I UFOs. can't think of one, man. So we'll see. It might I, be a first. That's really cool. Well, we thought we kind of thought our show was a first, mixing rock and roll music and aliens. But yeah, uh, hey, somebody bursted Kevin's bubble earlier. He but said there's somebody who does something similar to us, but they're not. They're not us. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just they're say not. That. They're not us. Yeah. yeah, they'll do that. You know, anything <laughs> to put you down and not. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm not giving up, man. Yeah, not doing We're it. We're not. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can visit my website somewhereintheskies.com. 
Uh, I'm all over Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. So you can just awesome. go to the website and find all that. Well, I think we should stay in contact and maybe Absolutely. have you on down the road when something else happens. But real quick, I would mention what the uh, the Rendlesham is about. Yeah, sure. Real quick. Sure. So people listening. Sure. Uh, this was back in 1980. This was in England. And uh, two joint military bases, Bentwaters and Woodbridge, owned by uh, the United States at the time. Um, we were there during the Cold War. Um, just in case there was any sort of incursion or attack. And uh, for three consecutive nights, there was UFO activity in this forest that joined the bases called Rendlesham Forest. Um, so, you know, the first night there were lights in the sky and they went out to investigate. Second night, you know, it sort of increased every night, the activity. Um, by the third night, I mean, there's there's all types of military officers out there and there's a solid craft that landed in the forest supposedly pierced the bunkers of the base that nuclear ordnance was being held at Um, this was not known to Britain at the time we were sneaking them in the Americans were and housing them in bunkers Um, so right there you've got like nuclear treaties gone to sure gone to heck and um, a UFO is possibly uh, affecting this nuclear ordinance. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like a Grisham novel or like right. a, a big budget movie right there. Where the aliens you know? are like, not on our watch, buddies. Exactly. <laughs> You're not putting this here now. Yeah, but this happened. Right. You know, we at the conference here, we have uh, Colonel Halt, who was the deputy base commander during this event. Right. And there's audio recording of this happening right. as it was happening in real time. You can find it on YouTube. You can't deny it. I mean, we, there, we played a clip of Bentwaters a few months ago, okay. maybe. Right. And the, the, the general saying, all right, so everyone's saying that you didn't see anything, you're crazy. But why are they still working on the base then if they're crazy? Right. You know, that yeah. was his point. And it made them total sense. It's like, yeah. right. <laughs> it's so simple. Yeah. <laughs> it so I'm, I'm going to slightly bur- burst your play bubble because Uh-oh. have you ever seen the movie Waiting for Guffman? Oh yeah, you're Remember right. Remember the play? They had a little uh, they had one. No, is yours going to be a, a musical? No, no. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, maybe now. Maybe it will now. But um, <laughs> no, no. But that was a wonderful movie. Uh, yeah, it was a great movie. I'm just teasing you. Huge that. Christopher <laughs> Guest fan. No, yeah. that's awesome, man. Right on. I just popped in my head. I was like, they did have a little song about the alien that yep. thing here. <laughs> yeah, they, they supposedly had a UFO landing right. in their hometown right. or something very Roswell-esque. Yeah. In Stool, Missouri, yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Yep, Stool Boom. I don't know. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> We're right on, man. We'll take our card, man. We definitely need to connect. Awesome. And we uh, pleasure chat with you. And good luck with everything. And looking forward to. uh, Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We'll connect and we'll make sure we'll do this again down the road. Rock on. And go check out his book and his (laughs) stuff. Yeah, where where online again? Somewhereintheskies.com. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Thank you. Right on. Very cool. All right. We are. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Yes. I mean, how can you not? Honestly, <laughs> like, why do we even say that while we're here? I know this is a, it's, <laughs> honestly, this is like a five day straight, twenty four seven ancient aliens program. That's what it really comes down to. Well, and it's you know, it's like our Comic Con. It is. I mean, for, I mean but it's know, a, there's a different spin to minus it. Minus all the dressing up. Well, it, there's a different spin to it because I think when you're looking at Comic Con, of course, it's more fun and, and and jovial and people celebrating their their passions and. And this is something that, you know, our real life experiences, people go through these and this is something yeah. they need to share and, and, and be connected with other people who have experienced what they went yeah. through. And so there's and, a lot of understanding here, you know, like you don't have to worry, like even with my friends, you know, I'd be, you know, ha Heidi and her UFOs, Heidi right. and her extraterrestrials. But here there is none of that. Right. It's awesome. We have Sasha Lesson with us now. Yes, He's hanging we out do. with us. And... and 
it, it, Janet, sorry, Janet, sorry. I don't have my papers up. Janet, thank you. Janet, care lesson. I'm the better half. <laughs> yes. And Sasha, welcome back. Yes, I'm the lesser half. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we're, we're you guys are equal. <laughs> You're both a hundred and two thousand percent. Yeah, I just made that number up. <laughs> you had many numbers thrown at me this weekend. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, it's a little overwhelming. No, but it's my affirmative action to uh, uh, bow to Janet whenever uh, there's a tie. <laughs> he, he he's a. Uh, uh, honors the goddess within and without. Yeah. It's like a tantra master. Yeah. You you guys go to um, conventions a lot. Yeah. Yes. You know you're meeting a lot of people left and right. Um, do you ever find? I mean, are you, are you finding the stories are all the same? I mean, or do you, are they too different? Or there's a lot reality is an elephant whose limbs we grasp. Uh, from different directions, and some people have it by the trunk, and some people have it by the balls, and they have different impressions of what the elephant is. But from my perspective, the more perspectives I take in, the more better picture I get of the elephant. And for the people that lie and disseminate, uh, it's very interesting because I'm very interested in what they're lying about and the truth that's under it. So I think wisdom is wherever you uh, open yourself to it. That's how I look at things. Janet could probably explain it more eloquently than I. <laughs> I don't know. That was pretty good. Right. <laughs> well, the stories that we hear and witness and we are uh, so blessed to be a part of are better than any kind of science fiction movies. You talk about Comic-Con. That's wonderful. But this is real life. Right, right. And these are the types of stories that belong in these sci-fi movies that, that get yeah. illustrated for humanity. Yeah. So we really get what's going on. And it is, you know, Comic-Con and Doctor Strange and all these things that are popular, they're based on the Anunnaki, a lot of these stories. That's the Superman. The Superman of old were just these beings that had many different abilities that humans don't have because our DNA has been dumbing down, 256 strands of DNA turned off. It's not junk DNA, it's those super abilities that uh, are featured in our science fiction and our Marvel comics. That's, yeah, that yeah. is installed in us. Yeah, yes. and, yeah and you know, it's. Uh, I want to uh, uh, say that uh, my uh, friend, who was uh, the head of Free, his name is Ray Hernandez, uh, will illustrate the point I was just making. He had a dog that was dying. His wife was downstairs with this dog. They were going to take it to put to sleep. It was in great pain. And the wife's saying, Ray, come downstairs. And he comes downstairs, and he sees what he says was red orbs. And the wife is saying... The Virgin Mary and angels are looking at the same phenomenon. The dog is saying, woof, woof, and running around and all happy like a puppy and lived several years after that. But these are two intelligent, mature adults confronting the same phenomenon and perceiving things very differently. You talk to any uh, uh, civil court judge, they'll say witnesses do the same thing too. Interesting. Well, so why do you think that is? is the because they're all true. They're just from different perspectives. And if you can step back and value all the perspectives, as we do when we work with experiencers, then we learn a hell of a lot more than if you say, I'm only going to consider things within this certain box and everything outside of it I'm going to ignore, you know, like Einsteinian theory is, is, is like that, then you miss the possibility as what happens when you're outside of the box, which in, in the case of my little example, right. uh, particle um, a, a atomic theory has 
shown us there is a lot of stuff outside of just the Newtonian box, and it's what's outside that makes larger predictions impossible. And so that the ultimate test is what we call Occam's razor. Whatever is being said should generate some uh, something that would be uh, you could either get evidence to support it or evidence to make it say it was a less important factor. And so that's what you look for. How can you generate uh, evidence in the Anunnaki story about how they came from the planet Nibiru 450,000 years ago, settled it, uh, and uh, created us to work in their minds and be their slaves and pitted us against each other uh, to this uh, day explains a, a lot more. And it's merely a hypothesis that we have right now from our limited uh, inputs uh, and yet it generates hypotheses. They said there's water on Mars. They said there's a, a landmass under Antarctica, right. and this is the shape of it. Uh, it's all kinds of very specific things. Uh, there's uh, Neptune and Uranus, and they're beyond eyesight uh, at the time we dictated this book to your guys. Uh, and uh, yes, our science is finding it's true. And one of the most exciting things is with crypto. Cripper uh, technology, we can make the kind of genetic modifications that they did when they took their genome, the Nibirian genome, their great big tall Homo sapiens like us, added some proto Bigfoot genes from Homo erectus, that's the ancestor of Bigfoot, a little copper, a little clay. And they made us, and we blew their minds, because we are empathetic because of the Bigfoot genes. We can feel each other. We empathize. We care in a way that they... They don't want to. Don't want to. You got it. Interesting. So their idea of building us the way they wanted to kind of backfired on them. They wanted slaves. Right. And then the, uh, their leader, Commander Enlil Yahweh, said, make better slaves. The slaves you made keep going off in the bush and forming their own society. Make <laughs> and so they made better slaves. So and this was even scarier to them because we're just as smart as they are. The first Eve, Tiamat, who was raised as a loving child by uh, Enki, our, our maker, and Nimma, our maker, uh, uh, when uh, Enlil, the commander, came into the uh, garden that he was making them tend, uh, little uh, Tiamat, uh, who's pregnant, pregnant teenager, she's got this table and she's laid out these two triangles and she says, look, if you put these triangles upside down, you can generate all these uh, geometrical, and she's, and, and, and Lil is enraged. Wow, this kid is too smart. Uh, you're supposed to make clones, not a breedable. She's pregnant. Send her back to Africa and have her breed. I don't want these creatures around me. That's the Adam and Eve story. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I just want to go back a little bit and mention you said about the Comic Con. So yes. the the History Channel saw what that was happening at the Comic Cons, and so they wanted to add more fun to it. And so they in Santa Clara in uh, October they did it over Halloween weekend. So they had people come in uh, dressed in costumes for the weekend, and they had like Lost in Space and all the little uh, Land of the Lost and all these television series that were from the sci-fi from previous generations, and the actors and actresses that are now up there, and right. uh, and they combined it with the Ancient Aliens. That Anunnaki History Channel stuff and uh, experiencers a little bit so people were coming in the door and they said where's the people that have actually been abducted by aliens? They, so these people here for fun actually wanted it so they, they underestimated the, the audience for the uh, those experiencers, right. the real experiencers and even for just the Anunnaki 
Anunnaki part of the ancient aliens phenomena. And so they gave us a room with 99 people. Well, there were thousands of people that wanted in. They got mad. So the next day they gave us this, uh, you know, room that, that seats a thousand. So wow. they're going to, their next one's in Dallas. So the model of alien, of uh, Comic-Con is right. really working. And now they're applying it to UFO conventions. And they're, they're realizing the Comic-Con type people, this UFO yeah, stuff same is people, hot. people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Same, almost the same demographic, Good. isn't it? The I mean, truth the is point stranger is, than fiction. Entertaining too, not just stand up and blah blah, but have some fun too. Well, that's kind of what the show's about a little bit. Right. You know? I mean, yeah, we can get into some serious conversations, but you have to have a little bit of levity to to break it up a little bit because sometimes people don't want to get too serious with this with this thought. Yeah. You know, um, go back to the Anunnaki. I've always wondered if they were friendly or foes, and it's apparently both. they're both. Is what you're saying? Yeah. What What's happened is. Uh, Prince Marduk, after, uh, of course, Yahweh, we know from what's left of, the, of the story in the Bible, uh, wanted us uh, killed. He wanted the flood to wipe us all out. Before that, he sent plagues, uh, but Nimma uh, uh, did antidote. He had his sons block uh, access to the sea so we'd starve, but Enki uh, showed people how to get around the gates and do deep sea fishing. Finally, when he could see that the, there was going to be a big flood, uh, when the uh, glaciers slid off Antarctica into the South Sea and caused huge waves to come up the Red Sea and so forth, uh, he said, "Let them all drown. Uh, they're a slave. Uh, they're an illegal race anyway." Uh, of course, Enki wasn't about to let his 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 uh, sons and daughters and seed uh, die and and saved us. But besides besides that, Yahweh Enlil would kill people. He was he was a he was a prude. He was a baby. He was an emotional reactor. He would bomb. people. People. He would he would have Moses kill people uh, if they uh, liked any other gods, or if uh, you know uh, one of his famous uh, stories, a, a guy named Joshua who worked for him killing people uh, after he uh, conquered Jericho. One of his guys. Uh, uh, took some gold so we'd have some for his uh, family, and of course, that was against the law. So of course Moses had him killed, but then he had his this guy's wife killed and this guy's kids killed. And my dad said, you know, he was right. This guy is a homicidal maniac. He ain't no god. God would never do that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a nice guy. So you've got some books out, right? Yeah, Jen will tell you about it. Um, <laughs> Anunnaki Gods No More is the first in the series. The second one was Anunnaki Legacy of the Gods, which includes the feminine perspective. So Nimma was the, the main character that got written out of the of the Bible, basically, and out of the story. But she was the creator. She's the uh, genetic scientist that was able to figure out the formula necessary for human beings to exist at all and on top of that uh, Enki wanted to put the the fetus the admixture into his uh, wife and she said oh no no this is my experiment it's too dangerous we don't know what's going to happen I will carry the first human myself and she did and not only did she figure it out and she carried it but she um took it to her breast and, and nurtured it and raised this little child so we owe a lot to Nimmo, and she needs to be added back to this uh, history. But the third book is uh, Anunnaki uh, False, Gods. False Gods. And then I have Dance of the Souls, which is, which is my story as an Anunnaki experiencer. And we're coming up this year with Anunnaki, uh, story of Marduk, King of Earth. He's the one that ended up being the King of the Earth and the behind the Illuminati, which is, if you come to the modern age, 
that's who's probably that's top yeah. of the all-seeing eye pyramid of Ra, which is on the dollar bill. Yeah. And well, then I have another book coming probably before the middle part of the year uh, about Nima, Mother of Humanity, because her story needs to be told. And are these available as like e-readers as well for yeah. people to Well, I've grab? got a lot of them. Uh, I, f- I first start with the uh, soft cover book, and they're all available on Amazon. And I've, the Kindle, I get up second. So, I, gotcha. yeah. But they'll all be Can I ask you, what is an Anunnaki experience? An Anunnaki experiencer is yeah, some is an ex, is a contactee. The whole contact it used to be called an abductee. We don't like that term, so we made it contactee for a while. But now it's called experiencer because it it uh, incorporates things like near death experiences, anything paranormal, not just contact with extraterrestrials. Right. So an Anunnaki experiencer is someone who's had experiences with Anunnaki. So I have. I'm able to channel uh, Anunnaki. I've had uh, visitations and interactions right. with Anunnaki. And so, for a long time, people weren't acknowledging that. They just put that in ancient aliens, ancient history. But there right. are people that are now interacting in this day with the Anunnaki. So let me ask you, friend or foe, and they're contacting you, Both. What's, what's, their, what's their message then? Is it some of it's good, the, some of it's bad? The or? message now from uh, Toth uh, Ningashida, who returned with... Um, he says 13 other and nine other gods. For some reason, they speak that way uh, to help clean up the mess. Marduk uh, has said uh, that he uh, felt compelled by uh, programming to pit us against each other and make us suffer so that we would uh, develop artificial intelligence that could do the uh, things that need to be done to have a planet of peace. But he has said he is truly... uh, sad and uh, feels terrible about the suffering he caused and he swears to make amends and cooperate with the others who have come. Enki uh, Adonai has come back. Uh, Jesus is here again and uh, they are pledged to clean up the mess and bring in the age of Aquarius, the golden age. Wow. Well, right on. Thank you for yeah. sharing this, guys. I really appreciate Thank it. Well, yeah. Thank you. Yes, we'll have you. Where can people find you online again? Where can you throw some Oh, uh, the, the Anunnaki information is on EnkiSpeaks.com, and that's E-N-K-I-S-P-E-A-K-S.com. And we have a website uh, with all of our, we do radio too, and we interview people about experiencers and Anunnaki extensively, and that's called AquarianRadio.com. And Aquarius is another name for Enki, so we are an Aquarian <laughs> age. Good job. I love Thank it. You. <laughs> okay. Thanks, awesome. guys. Thanks I do appreciate it. Okay. Mahalo. Aloha. Always, always interesting hearing that information here. So good at making sentences. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Sasha yes, is. I know. Sasha, awesome. you're so good at making sentences. Oh, yeah, it's caught up there. All right, so we are here at the uh, the 26th annual International UFO Congress, and we are uh, privileged to do our show here twice now. This is our yeah. second time, second year in a row. Such an enlightening experience being here the whole week, and it is like you said. You know, when you're seeing experiencers walking around or people who are you know really you know are in, in involved in this. In the scene, you call it the genre, how you, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's the subject. It's life for them. This is true right. in real life, you know, and it's it's a serious matter for a lot of people. And absolutely, and that's what this is all about—to kind of hear more information, to maybe justify their own means, to know that they're not going crazy, <laughs> that other people have experienced the same things that they have, and 
That's what this is. Spread information. Spread information, exactly. Kind of what we're trying to do here on this show. Aliens with Gas, the extraterrestrial rock show that airs every uh, Saturday live on the VoiceAmerica.com Variety Channel. And then we air it on the radio, 99.1 FM and 93.9 FM in Phoenix, Arizona on Sunday night. And then it is available Monday for podcast pleasure at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. So make sure you check out our website, alienswithgas.com. There are two S's there, alienswithgas.com. Brett Shepard is our guest next. So this is where this, uh, we're turnstile yeah. our guest here. We're moving him in Well, there's just so many people here to talk to. I know. And we're lucky to grab have... You know who we have here yes, today. Absolutely, helping We're teach people. Fortunate enough, Brett. Thanks for joining us. Get real close to that microphone if you don't mind. You get real, and uh, say hi to everyone. Hi, my name oh. is Brett Shepard. I am. You get a little closer if you don't mind. Okay. There you go. How's that? Perfect. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Brett, what's your relationship to this uh, conference? Oh my goodness. Um, I, I came here to uh, to assist uh, Dr. Ken Johnston, Sr. Um, who was uh, an Apollo astronaut? He uh, was an Apollo civilian uh, consultant astronaut working, contracting for Grumman um, during the early Apollo years. Right. And he, he's worked for many companies, Mar- Martin Marietta, and all kinds of different companies associated um, TRW, you know, with NASA. And uh, he's he's had uh, quite an extraordinary experience, you know. And I uh, I, I met him quite a while back. Um, uh, he was interested in lunar anomalies, you know, right. after, after what he saw, you know, in 16 millimeter films that he was showing scientists at, at JPL. Right. Um, apparently he saw a lunar base or a, some kind of alien base in Tchaikovsky Crater. And um, what, what I did for him was validate his story by digging up some information. Um, one of the things was uh, one of his debunkers, you know, uh, who was paid to do this and chase him around and make sure that the media is completely controlled with that. Sure. Um, he would he would say, well, uh, Apollo 14 never flew over Tchaikovsky Crater. Um, things like uh, the, the the camera was mounted so it was pointed down, and all of these things, and that is true. Um, that in the command module there there was a 60 millimeter Moyer data acquisition camera that was that was normally pointed downward toward the lunar surface for mapping, but that's not the camera that caught it. Edgar Mitchell, the late Edgar Mitchell on Apollo 14, in the lunar module which had a mounted camera and a handheld camera. Edgar Mitchell controlled the he was the lunar module pilot. And he controlled the handheld camera, 16 millimeter Moyer data camera. Right. And in the transcripts, it says right there that he's ready to take the acquisition, and um, this is you know going wide and and um, high and and all kinds of camera terms. And um, down the, the list, um, Alan Shepard says it looks great through the sextant, and they're looking at Tchaikovsky Crater. He says, yep, that's Tchaikovsky. It's, it's reddish, and um, Stuart Russo was describing the colors. and um, Off the space. Of, of, the, of the lunar surface, right. you know. And um, Edgar Mitchell, uh, who was the lunar module pilot, at 2.30 p.m., 23 seconds on the third day of Apollo 14, he filmed the crater and the lunar base that, Dr. K. 
Ken Johnston, Sr., saw on, on the moon in this film that he showed at, at JPL with Dr. Thornton Page and all the rest of the scientists. Right. And I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard that story. And um, I, I, just, I just wanted to come here and support Dr. Ken Johnston with that. We have something in common with these lunar images. You know, something strange has happened. Um, our, we feel that our lives have been kind of geared toward uh, lunar research or, you know, having something to do with Apollo, the Apollo program. Right. Specifically to expose this, possibly? Yeah, or? possibly. Um, like a fate kind of thing? Like you guys were just like universally drawn together? Sort of a fate thing. Right. Um, back, in the, back in the 70s, you know, when, it, when I was a, a child, um, there was a lady named Dino, and she worked for the Playboy Club in Chicago, and she was a cartoonist, and she taught me how to draw and recognized that I have some perceptive abilities with art. Um, when I was 15 years old in an art class, um, uh, Ms. my art teacher, Mr. Mikrit, pulled me aside at the end of the day, and he said, there's a lady here, and she wants to talk to you. And she picked um, uh, my friend Chris, too, who was an excellent artist in the class, and um, Chris had to go, apparently, because his brother came and got him. So I'm sitting here at the end of the school day in an art class, and this lady named Zamina Zarita from Stanford Research Institute came in there. with She had four big carousels of slides, and she showed me one right after the other, and these were, the, 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 she said that these were of, um, by different artists. So I, it, she didn't really specifically say they were of the moon and right. Mars. But I found out 35 years later that that was actually the case. Um, I saw these embedded in the lunar orbiter images and in the Mars images. And I have a photographic memory, and it was exactly what she showed me back in 1982. And the, some of the images she showed me back then weren't even taken by any orbiter till 1996, especially the Mars orbiter image. So what did that these, trigger me? So these pictures that she showed you were were actually my artwork that I'm doing from the images right now. So do you feel like there's some kind of uh, space time something travel I, or some I, loop thing they can do or? I, I'm not I'm not really sure. Um, I can speculate on that. Be, be, but the one thing I know for sure is those were my images they showed me back in 1982 from the future. That you were going to draw later on. Absolutely. That because they, there is no wow. one on Earth that did the same thing. I wonder if it is like a remote viewing yes, kind it, of thing. Um, the, the, I know a little bit about that experiment because Zingo Swan came out with it. Right. And he talked about perception and cognition experiments that they were doing back then. It was more than remote viewing. They called it remote sensing. And it was about perception. And it wasn't really my artwork that, that really caught the eye of, of these people, these black budget project people that were doing experiments, um, mainly to communicate with extraterrestrials. And they, they, see the, uh, they know that the extraterrestrials see our entire planet as one living being. Right. And we're all together, you know, even though we have egos and we have a separate spirit or whatever that, that is, that is extraterrestrial itself. Right. And we're in these these bodies that belong to the earth. So we're we're like part of this big living being, you know, right. almost like some kind of experiment maybe. But <laughs> yeah, that's, that's been said many times on this right. show, man. I'll bet. It really know. has. By me. But yeah, <laughs> the office, childhood, you know, whatever. Yeah, the, these um 
you know, the, the, these circumstances were, uh, seemed to snowball throughout my life, you know. Uh, my my family was very strange. We always had media people around. Um, we had Ringling Brothers clowns that my mom would get drunk with at the bar and drag home. You know. Well, <laughs> oh yeah, that's colorful. It is very colorful, and um, you know, I did Ringling Brothers, right? right? Clowns. Yeah, right. something's gonna happen. Yeah, <laughs> bring in the clowns. Right. <laughs> when you bring in the clowns, something's gonna happen. But anyway, it was um, I w- I would say extraordinarily psychologically abusive. You know, uh, the the kind from the child's perspective. Sure. Right. <laughs> Just because so, of the clowns, like get out of here. So through some of this trauma, which I won't go into detail with or whatever, I had an out of body experience, and the extraterrestrials came and got me and took me to the moon, and I could describe exactly the what she looked like. And what the little beings looked like and everything. And they, they you, you ever seen the movie E.T., you know, where, where they've got this little being with the um, big eyes and kind of a funny looking shaped head? Yeah, long neck. Yes, and, and it was it was the one, like the little sculptures that the ancients did that they portrayed this um, little being from the moon. Okay. Um, uh, well, anyway. Is that what you saw? Yes, it, that's exactly what I saw. But they You had saw ma- an E.T. on the moon? Yeah, they had masks on. Masks on. They 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 were ashamed of the way they looked. They wished they looked like us. So what kind of masks were they? Human face masks? Yes. Really? Uh, yes. It was quite disturbing. On those wow. bodies, they had a human yeah. face. Absolutely. Mask on. They because they venerated us so much. They almost like gods. Wow. They, they wanted to be us. They wanted to look like us. Um, and you know, later on, I did some research with the Eisenhower thing, and these ETs appeared to him. Um, um, disembodied they they faded in you know and and the, the, the those types they they met him that way hmm. and he also had uh, meetings with the nordics or whatever that that demanded that they have peace and get rid of their weapons right um these these other beings you know they they wanted so much to be on earth and and be like us that that they were willing to trade genetic and biological information for for technology that they lied about they didn't really have very much technology to give the military, and it was sort of disappointing. They almost got more from the Roswell craft than they did um, from these beings. Um, so the book that you wrote, that's got a lot of photographs in it. That's like yes. very interesting to me because it's the photographs of Mars, photographs of the moon. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yes, I can. Um, well, I, I, I'm working on uh, another book as well. But the book that you're referring to is called Flyover Tchaikovsky Crater, uh, Secret Base on the Moon. And it, it goes over some what, what some of the other whistleblowers and such have said about TRW and NASA. One of them was William Tompkins. Another was some CIA agent that never gave his name that was interviewed by Richard Dolan. Right. Um, and there was, there was also a couple of Russian generals, you know, which I found interesting. They, they, they said that... Um, to attract the aliens or UFOs, you know, that they would gather all kinds of military equipment uh, together to call them out, you know, because they knew that it, they would always come around military uh, equipment and bombs and um, like nuclear missiles and all that. Right. Um, you know, when, when Ken was working at, at, at um, Vandenberg Air Force Base, just like Colonel Dietrichson and, and the, um, his boss had verified um, they saw a film of the Peacekeeper missile going up in, into the upper atmosphere, and they saw a UFO running around it, 
And I'm sure some of you have seen that I've video. Heard, yes. yes. I've heard, heard and this. A little plasma beam would come out and disable the right. nuke. Yes. And then right. there was another guy that was running nuclear missile silos, you know, that said that they would come around all the time and disable their nuclear weapons. Right. Um, th- this tells For good reason, uh, just yeah. putting it out there. <laughs> right. that, that's exactly right. And I'm glad they are. So whoever they are, they're kind of the good guys, in my opinion, if they don't want us to blow ourselves up. Right, right. But, you know, you always see those asteroids coming or, you know, or, or whatever is coming in uh, to the planet and they get destroyed. And then you see a little light flying through it. Have you seen those videos before? Oh, yeah. That the, the, you know, the comet, whatever is coming in, the meteor is coming in and then it gets destroyed. It blows up. You're thinking because the atmosphere... But then, no, you slow down the video, there's a little light, a little right. that flows through it, right when it explodes, then it takes off. Right. I mean, yeah. so I'm wondering if it's the same situation, the same beings that are maybe protecting us. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. Um, there's, there's stories over and over by military people that are coming forward saying that they're disabling our weapons. You don't have to worry about nuclear weapons. There aren't any. Interesting. They're, they're disabling them. Except for, you know, North Korea. And then there's North Korea, which is um, kind of a joke because they're not really armed. They're just um, uh, making a big show. Right. Which brings me to my next subject. Uh-oh. <laughs> NASA is a cover for the secret space program. NASA is a cover for the secret space program. They wanted to show the, the, the United States and the world, you know, as far as the economy goes, that they could do it with rudimentary technology with petroleum. And this was to keep, you know, an ongoing economy and all that. And it was a sort of a demand. It was the perception and what was expected of the public after JFK made that speech. And he was kind of rebellious, you know. Right. Um, So anyway, they did that. And and it was all the while, even before they even started the space program, they were already on the moon. They had already made plans to make a base on the moon through General Trudeau. And I believe it was 1959. Um, this was um, a little bit after uh, Eisenhower during his administration. Um, yeah, anyway, they they early on they had plans to make uh, the the lunar base, and it it kind of goes into all that Nazi stuff when they brought Nazi equipment over from um, with Project Paperclip. Right. And, you know they. They sort of got their hands on the shells of these big, giant, monstrous, um, totally steampunk spacecraft, you know, from the Nazis. <laughs> big dials and everything. You know? <laughs> uh, you know, you've seen them. George Adamski came out and said, this is a UFO. And then some other guy from Utah said, this is a UFO. And, and they're all, they look exactly like the Nazi design. Um, and what they did was they brought that, that Nazi equipment over to the United States a- after we had already um, made our own deals with extraterrestrials, um, which we got really rudimentary technology from them comparatively to what they actually have. And um, the best we were able to do is get reverse gravitics. And we would put those engines, you know, they were kind of, um, Tesla was working on it, the electric stuff, you right. know, with the Nazi bell and that which is also interesting. You know? <laughs> they had Illyrian symbols, um, esoteric Illyrian symbols written around the Nazi bell. And those same symbols, the, the old European Illyrian and um, Vincan symbols were on that little bar um, from the Roswell crash. Interesting. Um, it, it is very interesting. And, and I, I, 
working with a couple of girls that remind me of the real girls and they're doing the exact same thing. They're in contact with an extraterrestrial and you're using automatic writing just like the real girls from Nazi Germany. And this ET, you know, that says that he prefers to speak in the ancient European languages. And what these are is languages that are 6,000 years prior to Samaria, the civilization wow. of Samaria. When they say Anunnaki, it's simply an, a Sumerian word for it. Right. You've got gods and goddesses, you know, that are exactly the Inanna, for instance, you know, is, is very much like Sibel, you know, from that old empire. And that this old empire was called the Pelagians, and it was a mixture of the Illyrians and Dardanians and, and the Scythians, you know, that came down. Scythians came down and sort of um, landed in this uh, this area, Bulgaria, in Europe. And and these were the ancient Italians and the Greeks. Okay. You know, to, to sort of tie in our really old stuff right. with, with the communication aspect of the extraterrestrials. So the photos that you analyze in your books, do these symbols appear anywhere in Oh, more these than photos? just the symbols, the actual faces of these people. Wow. So I'm looking at the uh, an aspect of hierophany when I'm looking at these images. There's a um, looking at it as an artist in two dimensions instead of you know even if it's um, of of a, a lunar image that's uh, oblique you know or looking at it from the side or something. I'm looking at this image um, in two dimensions. Um, you know, so there's this this shimmering layer uh, of of light information. And within this light information, I can see with my artistic eyes or perception, photorealistic faces of, of these old ancient gods and goddesses, of the old stories of Pinocchio and, and different ancient stories, children's stories and whatnot, um, mm. the Little Mermaid, you know, lots of that. So it, it, it's a, a well, little bit Well, but the strange, Little Mermaid right? is like a story that goes into oh. other cultures back. It's just like a repeat. We just call it the Little Mermaid now. Oh, yeah. Like, we it, should expand on that. Absolutely. <laughs> it goes all the way back to that old ancient Pelagian Empire with Poseidon. And, and the um, and you've got uh, uh, the, this, uh, what's the name, Proteus, you know, who is the seal herder for Poseidon. And one of those seals, I thought literally he was like herding seals, you know, like, like cows or something. Right. Um, but what it was is he was in control of uh, of the seals that eventually became the Nephids. And there, um, there's this one picture that's embedded in the lunar image. Um, it's image 1197 underscore MED. <laughs> Photograph you see memory. this a few? Yeah. So, yeah, the, 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 he's, he's um, Proteus is very sincerely and dearly holding this baby seal thing. And out of the baby seal is an actual human-looking child, you know. Mm. And it's the rest of its body is like a seal flipper. Interesting. And there's a couple of seals in his hand, you know. So it's these very endearing scenes, you know, that, that are encapsulated within these the lunar and Mars images. In a Mars image, there's the whole story of uh, a St. George and the Dragon in ancient Cappadocia and Libya, you know. And it, it's showing uh, the the lottery and you know the princess that that put her name okay, in the lottery because right, right. she was guilty about you know <laughs> sacrificing right. her people right. and um, so there's, interesting. There's just so much of the, the commonality of the storylines all over the world, right? The, there's the, the way they tell it is different. That's all. Right. Oh yeah, but absolutely. The, the overall theme of it is the same. 
Absolutely. And that's the that's the thing. Um, Brett, where, real quick on the moon thing, real quick. Um, Tchaikovsky? Yes. Where is that on the moon? On the that, dark side? or That is on the back side of the back moon. Back side, okay. You bet. Um, it, it is a very, very large black-looking crater that, that has an island in the middle of it that's a very unusual-looking feature. Um, not too far away from that, you've got the, the giant craft that's cigar-shaped that everybody looks at online. Yes, yes. Um, that's as big as Manhattan. Yes. Yeah, that's not that's not too far um, west of that. I saw a picture of the moon. Now, I don't know if this is real or not, but it, it, it explained the photo of a plane or a plane, uh, a, a ship about the size of Manhattan. Yes. With a, a, a being standing outside the ship. Oh, wow. Meaning the being would be <laughs> yeah, blocks long, blocks right. big. Right. It would be mm. huge. It'd be right. like, you know, from whatever perspective, at least 50 feet tall. Sure. I don't know. I mean, yeah, so this is a picture of, you know, hmm. here's a, here's a, someone, of a, maybe a being. I, I've a, seen some of that stuff, and I, I, I think that might partially be hierophany. Um, it, 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 it might be an impression of what was. Okay. So, and gotcha. size doesn't really matter when you're looking at hierophany. You've got, like, you know, maybe giant clown beings or whatever that, that are welcoming a couple of little shrimpy guys right. off of a ship. So. Right. So size is really a perception thing, okay. you know, when it comes to looking at this artistically. Right. But it's the meaning behind it that's important. Right. You know, so, so, you know, when it, when I look at these images, there's, yes, that weird artistic aspect, but there's also the serious aspect where you're looking for structures and, and you know, the more male, I would say, right. aspect of looking at buildings and structures and architecture and you know and right. very blocky things well it does kind of it goes along with uh you know ken johnston who you seem to you know be in cahoots with a little bit <laughs> um <laughs> yeah that's what we talked about last year we yeah. had him on with all these uh, anomalies on the moon right that just don't add up you know right unless there are that we've been there already before or you know, there's a, a real legit alien base put together from another society, another civilization. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I, I found a nice-looking lunar base um, from an Apollo 15 image. Um, uh, it was a lunar module that, that took a picture of the command module, and in the background you can see the surface of the moon. And it, it was um, just north of, of Mare Fund and Talus, and, and we've got um, what looks like... Um, almost like cornrows of structures and and um, dish arrays really yes and and this this now this was in a one of one of Ken Johnston's slides that he kept all the way um, it, he's had them for 45 years you know some of these slides that he had right and um, this particular slide um, was uh, was analyzed by several photographers you know and um, there, there is definitely something on the surface of the moon that that looks like that. That's and, what people just have to go, yeah. go look for yourself, everyone, right. and Abs- check this out. Absolutely. Do your own yeah. uh, your own uh, investigating, and we can only put the surface or put this uh, message out there to you guys out there. But yeah. uh, Brett, amazing! Thank you for sharing yes, your story, thank man. You. We do appreciate it. Absolutely. Yes. Where can people find you, you online? Where can people uh, find you online? Or they can find me online at at shepherdandpatrick.com. And also, I have the Lunar Anomaly Research Society on Facebook. Anybody can join. It's an open group. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank Thanks you so- for everything you do, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. And keep uh, telling the truth, man. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Showing the truth, I guess you could say. Right. right. Very awesome. cool. Good thank stuff, you, man. 
All right. Well, we are hanging out at the the 26th annual International UFO Conference. We're back. We're back. All right. <laughs> <laughs> little little plug fell out there. Right. Okay, but we're back. Everyone relax. We got everything. <laughs> we're still here. <laughs> Nothing weird happened. It wasn't like a giant conspiracy or something. I know. Although we could have played it off like that. Right. Thanks I know. I know. That. But you know, <laughs> I like to be truthful. It's this, you know, problem I have. Yes. <laughs> That's um, all good. This whole honesty thing Let's I reset. have happening. Let's reset here. Okay. It's alien. Well, it's Aliens. With gas, the extraterrestrial rock show here on the VoiceAmerica.com variety channel every Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time. That's 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time. And we are live here right now at the 26th Annual International UFO Congress at Weekapaw Resort up at Fort McDowell in Fountain Hills, Arizona, where this has been going on for quite some time already. Since Wednesday. Yeah, since Wednesday. And we are just kind of going through our guests today. And we are oh, we had our last I'm, guest. Yes, I'm very excited about this guest. Yes, go for it's, it. It's uh, Kathleen Marden. Yeah. Um, she is spoke. Uh, she is a book out. She's very, four books out. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Uh, she has uh, several she's written with Stanton Friedman. Um, and, uh, you know, she's got a lot to say. And she's awesome. And she's a girl in <laughs> the field. That's right. <laughs> Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Excellent. Well, we're glad you are here with us. Um, so being a female in the field, is uh, is there any kind of, uh, I don't know, is there any kind of rub with that, with the other people involved in uh, UFOology? I think that the men in the field are more willing to accept the highly intelligent uh, researchers not the not the women who uh, tend to be sort of on the outskirts or in the fringe. Okay. But uh, you find that m- most of the men in this field are very evidence based. Right. And that's what I am. And the other women who are evidence based are highly respected, I believe. Right. So, what's your field of expertise in this? What do, what do you write about? My gosh. Well, <laughs> my first book was captured, The Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. Right. It was based upon 14 years of research that I did on my aunt and uncle's alien abduction mm-hmm. in 1961. I was 13 years old when it occurred, and it was in New Hampshire. Betty was my mother's older sister. And she called my mother when they arrived home on September 19, 1961. They'd been on a brief vacation to Canada, and they were returning home through the White Mountains at night when uh, a UFO swooped down. And it seemed to be following them, was off to the side of them, then was ahead of them. And at one point in North Lincoln, New Hampshire, the UFO surged ahead and stopped right over the highway. Barney had to stop the car in order not to drive directly underneath wow. it. And then it descended to within about 100 feet of them. Uh, Barney stepped out of the car and looked up at it. He had a, a pair of binoculars in his hands. And at that point, it shifted location to an adjacent field. He followed it into the field. It was now about uh, 100 feet away from him and about 50 feet in the air. 
there was a forward row of lighted windows, and standing behind the windows were what he described as non-human entities uh, in black, shiny uniforms. One remained at the window while the others went to the wall that it's sort of in the corridor that appeared to be encircling this large disc that was just hanging in the air. He was greatly frightened, yeah. uh, but he was curious too. But suddenly he had the impression that if he didn't run away, he was going to be captured, like right. he stated, a bug in a net. Mm. And that's when he broke free. He ran back to the car, screaming to Betty that they had to get out of there or they were going to be captured. And he went speeding down the highway. Just as he was getting back into the car, the disc shifted location again to over the top of the vehicle. And then he and Betty heard a series of code-like buzzing sounds that seemed to be striking the trunk of the vehicle. The car began to vibrate, and they felt a tingling sensation through their bodies. The next thing they knew, as if only a moment had passed, they were 35 miles down the road with very little recall of what had happened in the interim. They did remember that they encountered a roadblock somewhere along the way. They had conscious recall for what I've just told you. Right. And they remembered observing a fiery orb that was seemed to be sitting on the road and it was moving but they were not moving uh, they at first they wanted to explain it away as being the full moon maybe uh, setting but they couldn't do that because it was moving right and so they they drove on home they were looking for human contact everything was closed and uh, they lived on the seacoast of New Hampshire, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, drove home, and it was much later than they had anticipated. It was a good two hours, to maybe more than that. Right. They unpacked, uh, put things on the back porch of the house. They, For some reason, they felt contaminated. Hmm. They thought they'd been too close to this thing that perhaps uh, they were exposed to radiation. Right. And so they, they took long showers, and they went to bed and slept for a while. And then Betty called my mother when they woke up. And I happened to be home from school by that time. I was 13. And so I heard Betty's side of it through my mother at that point. But within a couple of days, we were at their house. They had already reported it to Pease Air Force Base, became part of a Project Blue Book report. Mm. Uh, they told the Air Force that it was as large as a dinner plate at arm's length after it had swooped down toward the vehicle. Remember this, the full moon is the size of an aspirin at arm's length. Right. So this was very huge. Wow. Yeah, this is, that, you know, became, that's, this particular um, occurrence became one of like the best well the most well known cases of witness in the history so of ufology. They were the first right. documented case yeah. that was investigated and it, something very important about this I believe is that Betty and Barney were credible people. She was a social worker for the state of New Hampshire. He had served in the army. He received an honorable discharge. His character 
reference said that he was of excellent character. He worked for the post office after that, but they were active in the civil rights movement. And Barney was appointed to serve on the U.S. Civil Rights Commission State Advisory Committee for the state of New Hampshire. He had also received an award for, from Sergeant Shriver for the work he did with the poverty program in the state of New Hampshire. So just an upstanding human being all around. They were. <laughs> right, and right. they did not want this story to be made public. They were willing to talk to scientists who are interested. They told their friends, they told the people at church. Of course they told the family but they never intended to have this made public. Because well, ridicule was big back then, wasn't it? It was a huge right. uh, factor. And also, they were an interracially married couple in 1961. Yeah, which doesn't fly very Which well is, you know, something that you right. you don't want to draw that kind of attention sure. to yourself. So Human beings, man. Was their abduction... More just them in the car getting picked up and moved to another spot is pretty much what it was. There's no story of them on the ship, is there? Yes, there is. Oh, there is. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Now, what happened during that missing time uh, was brought forth uh, by Dr. Benjamin Simon. He was a neuropsychiatrist. He uh, worked during World War II to set up the Mason General Hospital on Long Island. He was highly successful in treating veterans who were returning from the war with shell shock, conversion hysteria, things that we now call post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. Uh, he had so much success, the movie Let There Be Light was made about his work mm. uh, in that time frame. He saw Barney because Barney suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of observing these non-humans right. and feeling that he was going to be captured. Mm. And the missing time, they knew something had happened. They didn't know what. They still so they never found out what they, whatever. Really. They did find out what happened. I, I didn't mention that there was a lot of physical evidence too. But what happened is somehow they found themselves on a new road. It was in a desolate area. There were tall trees all around. And they turned onto a side road that was like a logging road. It was a dirt road. And there were men standing in the road. Betty and Barney were confused at that point. Uh, and then the men started to walk toward them. They were saying, you know, are we being robbed? Was there an accident ahead? What, what's going on to each other? And then Barney said, it's them. It's the ones I saw in the field. And Betty became terrified. She opened the car door, and she wanted to run to hide in the woods. But they divided into two groups. Half of them went to Barney's side, half to Betty's side, and they intercepted them, intercepted Betty uh, as she opened the door to try to run away. Mm. They pointed something at her, and she seemed to have lost consciousness at that time. It seems that Barney lost consciousness as well, but she regained it rapidly. Barney said that he felt like he was floating, that he could feel the toes of his shoes bumping along the rocks. And his show, shoes were so deeply scraped when he arrived home that he had to buy new shoes. Wow. Um, they were taken to the craft that was sitting on the ground in a clearing on the backlands of the ham ranch in our farm in New Hampshire. And they were taken onto the craft, Barney first, 
Betty struggled. She kicked one of them. And the evidence of it was on her dress uh, because the hem was torn down on one side and the dress was torn from waist to hemline. They were taken into separate rooms. And Betty and Barney both said that they thought they wanted to know the difference between human bodies and their bodies because they looked very different than humans. They were very interested in Betty's and Barney's skeletal systems, in their joints. They took their shoes off. They examined their feet. They examined their hands, uh, their eyes, their noses, their mouths. Uh, Go ahead. I'm just curious, you know, with these, you would think they would have already seen a few human beings. Uh, They seem like they're acting like they've never met a human being before. I think they had seen a few human beings because they were set up to examine human beings. Right, so are they just examining, like, are all human beings a little different? Are they all the same? I mean, you got to try to figure out why they're so yes. curious. Yes, and in several that. of those early cases, they did that sort of examination. Right. They also removed Betty's dress and uh, tore the zipper in the process of doing that. The zipper went down the back of her dress. There was a two-inch tear in the stitching and a one-inch tear in the thick zipper fabric. Um, and... So they they took her dress off, they put her on a table, and they produced a long needle. And she said, what are you going to do with that? And they telepathically said, it's just a simple test. Uh, We won't harm you. Simple pregnancy test. And they inserted a long needle into her navel, causing excruciating pain. Dr. Simon had to end the session early uh, because of the degree of trauma that she was experiencing. the, the one that she called the leader that we today call the escort because it is the one who has a relationship with humans okay. and takes them over their lifetime periodically, uh, said, took Betty's pain away. He stood up by her head and he did something in the area of her head and the pain disappeared. I hear that over and over again. The pain again. of the needle? The pain from that needle, wow. yes. And then she began to trust him. When her exam was over, then the examiner left and went in to examine Barney. And at that point, she was able to get up and get dressed. And the one who took her pain away uh, remained in the room with her. She was not as frightened at that point because he took the pain away. And she said to him, I know you're not from around here. Where are you from? (laughs) And he produced a three-dimensional, like a holographic image of a star map. There were 16 stars. And uh, they ranged in size from pinpoint to the size of a nickel. And the nickel-sized ones were in the foreground. Dr. Simon told her that if she could remember that accurately and it didn't cause her too much difficulty, that she would be able to go home and sketch it from memory. And she did. And it was examined scientifically by Marjorie Fish, who was an amateur astronomer. She was a school teacher, a member of Mensa, and uh, actually worked as a nuclear research assistant after her work on the star map. Uh, remember, we didn't have computers right. back then, personal computers. Uh, <laughs> we didn't brains. have a photocopy <laughs> machine. She had to go to the university and bo- borrow the astronomical catalogs 
and copy the distance data and the information about the stars in our local galactic neighborhood 55 miles up, 55 light years out. And then she went home. She built three-dimensional models, placing every star in its proper location on that star map, using monofilament line and beads of various uh, sizes right. and colors representing the different types of stars. Mm. Still, after many years of building these, she built 26 in all. Right. She didn't have a match. She initially thought she'd find many matches, but finally new distance data uh, was published in the astronomical catalogs. Mm. She changed some of the stars around on the last model, and she did have a match at that point. Now, my co-author, Stanton Friedman, became interested in this because Coral Lorenzen from the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization was attempting to find scientists who would vet Marjorie's work for accuracy. And so she asked Stanton to find those scientists. He did. And they vetted her work, and they stated her work was accurate. Mm. So this caused many scientists to become convinced that this was real. There was something very important about that map, and that is that all of the sun-like stars 55 light years out were in Betty's star map. Yep. Wow. Only 5% of the stars in the local galactic neighborhood were sun-like. So this was an extraordinary finding. Right. Wow. But for like you, the mathematical probability of sure. that is uh, <laughs> It, it <laughs> is between low. 1 and 10,000 to 1 in a million, right. depending upon sure. the statistician that you ask. Right. Yes. So for you, learning all this at a young age, you know, at least being exposed to it at a young age, was that kind of your mission? As, as a child, going, I need to find out more about this. And was that kind of your... your With the spark? Yeah. I was always very interested in it. And mm -hmm. that's what sparked my interest. Because my family had no interest in this at all before Betty's and Barney's experience. But, you know, I went on to college. I had a professional career. And I uh, left my vocation. My, I was... Uh, I started out as a social worker, I was a teacher, and then I was an education services coordinator. But uh, 27 years ago, I left my job, and I decided to research this for right. myself. Gotcha. I wanted to separate fact from fiction. There seemed to be a lot of fiction being disseminated right. about Betty and Barney and their case. So I made it my mission at that point to investigate it myself, to research all of the investigations that had been done on it, to read the correspondence files. Betty turned her entire collection, 40 years of correspondence, over to me, plus the hypnosis tapes, which I transcribed for comparative analysis. Mm. They were hypnotized separately. Dr. Simon reinstated amnesia at the end of each session so they could not share information. I did a complete study, as thorough as I could possibly be, on that case. Wow. And that is what ended up being captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience. Right. 
So glad you did that. So, and it's been su- it's such a treat, like having because I I know the story. It's yeah. like one of the staples of anybody who's right. like really you know into the subject. You know, like you're 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 supposed to know the story. So if you don't know the story, yeah. you guys get the book. Here's your chance. Um, so it's been really awesome, to, like hear it from you. Right. And I'm sure probably, a lot of other people are gonna think that too. I got, I got a couple <laughs> questions left. I want sure. I do want to ask this. You said 14 years you studied this. You were looking for researching for 14 years. It was more than that. It was, more it was than about that, right? 15 years. Um. Does it still continue on? Is yes, still it more does. Years? Right. It's never it, ending. It has right? continued on. Right. Yes, and Bar- Betty died in 2004. Barney died at a very young age. He was 46 years oh, old. Yeah, he died so. in 1969. Um, so I am the trustee of the estate. Okay. So I, Betty gave me all of the archival materials, right. and I donated some of them to the University of New Hampshire, along with her dress and some of the artifacts that were left. Yeah. And... Uh, Yes, and I do continue, and I have found more evidence and more information <laughs> Just pile uh, on. as time goes on. Right. So my last question then, was was there any riff in the family, on either end of the family, about believing this or believing them? I mean, everyone was supportive of their story? Betty and Barney were credible people. Right. Yes, and I think that the family members were... Uh, did believe that this really did happen. They knew that Betty and Barney wouldn't lie about something like this. They wouldn't, they wouldn't hallucinate something like this. They were emotionally stable people. Yes. So the family did accept it and were supportive. That's important because I think, you know, a lot of people come out and, you know, we had James Fox even say when he was right right at the bat, when he started looking at UFOs, his dad's like, uh, you might want to think twice about doing that Uh just because especially the, the, uh, the time it was back in in that day was, don't say you saw something because that's bad. That's uh, gonna, yeah. gonna ruin your close minded people, right, definitely. Right. And when I was in a professional career, I didn't tell people about this, right? Because you knew it, it yourself wasn't until I left, right? That's true. So, what do you think now, being you know, growing up in that era now, here we are in 2017. Do you find it still the same? Do you find it more openness as far as talking about it with other people? I think that there's more openness among the general public. There's more information being disseminated now that we have the internet. It's not all accurate information. A lot of it is not. But I think that uh, with cable television, too, I've been on many cable television shows, as has Stanton Friedman, sure. and he, he's been on a lot of network television shows years back, too, when they were carrying information right. about UFOs. And, uh, but I do think that there is more acceptance among the public. Uh, a lot more people have had sightings themselves. I look back at the, the I mean, this kind of comes full circle, the Mike Wallace interviews, the Walter Cronkite interviews, the mainstream media back in the day. This was a lot more popular on the main news. Yes. Not as much as it is, as it is today, is it? As far as what you've experienced, at least back in the day, where it was a little bit new, new, newer to... Yes, the there were more television talk shows hmm. that uh, would discuss the topic of UFOs and Betty and Barney appeared on those many years ago. Um, We're not appearing on those today. We're not being invited, but we are appearing on documentaries uh, on cable networks. Sure. And on radio shows. The internet. Oh, yes. (laughs) Hundreds of radio shows. (laughs) Nice. So uh, you said you you have four books. 
Yes. Are they all they're not on the same subject, are they? Uh, the first one was on Betty and Barney. Second one is Science Was Wrong, yeah. and that is in the science section of bookstores. Uh, it's on the history of science over the past couple of hundred years. Some very highly educated scientists who made proclamations of impossibility and were, law, were wrong. <laughs> we also have a section on the frontiers of science. My third book is called The Alien Abduction Files, and it's on six cases of alien abduction that I have investigated myself and on my first uh, questionnaire project with Denise Stoner uh, to attempt to identify commonalities among experiences, SIRS, that are not common among the general population. So we had 50 experiencers and a 25-person control group. We identified 23 commonalities. Can you name a popular one? A popular one. Um, before they were abducted, they had conscious, continuous recall of observing a craft at less than 500 feet. Oh. That is a popular one. Um, and then the newest book is Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers, the History of Government Involvement in the Study and Investigation of UFOs, their findings, their decision to cover up their findings, the uh, policy changes that were made federally, uh, and the people who were involved in the cover-up. It's based upon years of archival research that Stanton Friedman and I have done uh, very heavily footnoted. Right. So you can check out our work if you want to. Nice. You, you can know where to go for the evidence. Great resources the, if you're into the subject. The, the government, you know, hiding all this back in the day was a lot easier, you know, to not release the information. Nowadays with That's the internet true. and the, the communication we have today, you eventually something's going to pop. Yes. You, you, at least you hope it will, right? Yes. <laughs> and, you know, the, the mutual UFO network is pretty well known now because right. they have the television show, right. Hangar right. One. Right. And uh, I'm MUFON's director of Experiencer Research. I'm also on the board of directors of the Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters and active with that, too. And I think they're becoming more widely known sure. than they used to be. Yeah. That yeah. and the research they're doing, like the research you guys are doing yes. um, with that was just mind-blowing, you know, listening to those conversations about that. This, yes, we, uh, have a, we have a lot of highly <laughs> educated people with PhDs who are working on all of this, and it, it's very exciting to work with them. What, what, what's the one thing for you? As far as aliens go, or you know, maybe abduction stories, um, experiencers, what's the main thing that stands out to you? Maybe um, as an aha or maybe a wow moment. Is there anything that really stands out as like that's wow, that's really, you know, crazy or different? <laughs> she smiles. <laughs> There's so much. There's so much that, I know that is so perplexing. I know. The title of my lecture at this conference was perplexing phenomena hmm. related to contact. And all of this was a, a result of the, the first uh, questionnaire uh, study that we did and then follow-up studies that we've done since then. And uh, the most perplexing investigation that I have ever worked on, uh, too. Yes. And uh, it took place at an airport 
in Texas, and the witness was a commercial pilot, mm. recently deceased, unfortunately. But he uh, took many, many photographs of UFOs in the air. Uf a UFO landed on the ground, fairly close up. Uh, he he Did saw he got pictures of these. Yes. Showed you. Yeah, yes. this is like probably yes. one of the most fascinating discussions at International UFO Congress this week. Well, I showed, her presentation. I showed those photographs at my presentation. And uh, he has an incredible story. Mm. Light orbs in his home uh, that has appeared to be intelligently controlled. Orbs that he would observe on the airport uh, near the runway. Uh, wow. It's just an incredible story. It made me wonder if these non-human entities who are visiting are capable of enter of opening up portals using technology. Right. And if maybe these other things, there were time slips, uh, were these things slipping in through this portal? Uh, it's very, very perplexing. I'm very interested yes. in all of Me that too. right now because I'm a person <laughs> who goes after evidence and, awesome. and I pursue it when I find something that really sparks my interest. And you're still kind of, you know, even though I, I know he passed away, which is really terrible, um, yes. you're still like moving forward with this case, right? Yes, and I have other investigators who are interested in working on this with me as well. Yes. Well, thank you for doing this. You're for awesome. Everyone. Yeah, it's been a great, <laughs> thank you. It's, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I and really where can they it. find you to get your books and my, all that kind yes, of stuff? Yes, my my website is Kathleen K A T H L E E N dash Marden M A R D E N dot com. My upcoming events. I have ten conferences I'll be speaking at this year are on my website. You can purchase autographed copies of any of my books there. And uh, also, the books are all available at Barnes & Noble, at Amazon, in many different formats. Right on. Well, thank you so awesome. much for sharing thank part you. of the story with us. Thank you so much. Today. Appreciate it. Right on. Well, thank you. All right. Okay. Uh, we're, we're a few minutes and we're out of here. All right. We did it. We did it. Ooh, that went by fast. <laughs> it did go by fast. Uh, Two the, hours of interviews. The whole International UFO Congress always goes by fast for me. I think because we're such we're so interested in it, and you know, you're fascinated in it, it doesn't seem to slow down. Right. You know. Well, just, for me, yeah. I mean, I've been interested in it since I was, you know. Yeah. I'm a, young, I'm a late gamer to it, but yeah. uh, I still enjoy the. Um, I felt right at home here the whole time. <laughs> no one made fun of me. <laughs> well, no one should make fun of you, but. You well, know. I know, but you know. So yeah, so what we're gonna do is uh, we're gonna we're gonna leave out. Uh, we got a little song. We'll play, of course, our final uh, yeah. closing out song. We like to play the Galaxy song from the Monty Python era, and then uh, then we play out a little clip, and then we're done. So yeah. you can catch the replay tomorrow night on ninety nine point one FM and ninety three point nine FM in Phoenix, Arizona. Then the podcast will be available online on Monday. Other than that, um, Heidi, aliens. Well, yeah, with gas, but I, I, I want to. Uh, <laughs> Oh, I want to thank Alejandro Rojas. <laughs> oh, yes. Openminds.tv has yeah. been very uh, gracious to us this whole time. It, the International UFO Congress, hashtag IUFOC Congress. Or it's uh, uh, hashtag IUFOC 2017. And uh, find us online. Our with ga Aliens with Gas is on, online, of course, .com. There's two S's there. Instagram, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud. And we are the Extraterrestrial Rock Show. We don't play any music today. 
yeah, no, today was not a music day. Sorry, guys. It just wasn't. I'm sure you're okay, though. Yes, because of the lineup we had today. Uh, Ryan Sprague, we had, um, of course, James Fox. And some of his experiencers of yes. the Phoenix Light. Stacy and Emily were joining us earlier on. Brett Shepard. Sasha. And of course, Lesson, and of course, Kathleen Martin. They've been all fascinating to listen to. Sleep retreat. And you'll get a chance to listen to them on your own time. But thank you yeah. for sharing your time with us here at voiceamerica.com live every Saturday from 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific time. And we will see you next week with a recap of this week. We have interviews. I interviewed Uli John Roth of the original member of the Scorpions. Yeah. I interviewed him on Monday, and I'll drop that part of that interview on our show next week. And then the whole interview will be available online. A 30-minute interview with him. Wow. Yeah, it was fascinating. Sounds interesting. None of it was about music. <laughs> well, about his music. It was about the frequency of music and the sound and what it brings to you. Nice. It's a very fascinating interview. It should be available on our podcast page soon. Yeah. You guys, you're done? You ready? Stuff. Yeah. All ready right. Roll. Aaron, thank you so much for hanging out with us at the studio, making us sound good through the VoiceAmerica.com Variety you. Channel. And uh, he, he gave me a message before we even started, which is great. I want to, I want to read this. He says, uh, the, the truth is on the air. Awesome. I like that too, Nice Aaron. choice of words, man. All right, I'll see you Monday, Aaron. And you guys out there listening, take it, take it easy. We will see you uh, next, when, next Saturday right here on the voiceamerica.com channel. And thank you for listening to Aliens with Gas. Man. Just remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving and revolving at 900 miles an hour. That's orbiting at 19 miles a second, so it's reckoned a sun that is the source of all our power. The sun and you and me and all the stars that we can see are moving at a million miles a day. In an outer spiral arm at 40,000 miles an hour Of the galaxy we call the Milky Way Our galaxy itself contains a hundred billion stars It's a hundred thousand light years side to side It bulges in the middle, 16,000 light years thick But out by us it's just 3,000 light years wide we're 30,000 light years from galactic central point. We go round every 200 million years. And our galaxy is only one of millions of billions in this amazing and expanding universe. on expanding and expanding in all of the directions it can whiz as fast as it can go at the speed of light you know 12 million miles a minute and that's the fastest speed there is so remember when you're feeling very small and insecure how amazingly unlikely is your birth and pray that there's intelligent life somewhere up in space cause there's bugger all down here on earth fuck what fuck Oh! Wow! Oh. Oh.
I don't, I don't, I don't have nothing to do with it, man. I don't, I don't have nothing to do with it. What is this? Damn, I didn't have nothing to do with it. Look at that. Hey, don't put your hand in there, man. Man, look at that. What's happening? Oh, oh God. God. Oh, man.